You are listening to the Vine Church Sermon Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more information about the Vine Church, please visit our website at www.thevinemadison.org. about Thrive, just as an incentive. Uh, my name is James, and I'm an elder candidate here at The Vine. I've been helping out the preaching team the last few months, just delivering messages here and there. I am still married to the most uh, beautiful, wonderful, lovely member of The Vine staff. That's Jackie over there, who's shaking her head and trying to be shy about it. Uh, we have two lovely daughters. We live out in Verona, and during my day job, I work out at Epic, training software, but that's not why I'm here. Uh, I'm here to get to share with you about scripture related to Advent. Um, I'm a firm believer that knowing scripture, uh, studying it, is a way to have a personal relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That we study the scripture to get to know him more, and that uh, we can actually connect with him because he loved the scripture as well. Right? This is something that we, uh, we, could, we should be spending time on. And for the last few years, we've been studying the book of Matthew. And then two weeks, uh, the last two weeks, we've been studying Thanksgiving. And then here it is, Advent. Advent, 2020. That, it's the year 2021, everybody, and it's Advent already, um, in case that catches you by surprise. Um, this is something that, for me, comes sort of by surprise every year. Or it just accidentally sort of happens to me. I don't know if anybody else is like that. Advent just kind of occurs. Um, it's a liturgical rhythm in the church because we are forgetful people. We forget about the coming Savior, about the, that's what Advent is, about the eventual coming, the second coming of Christ, but also his birth, right? His birth and second coming, it's, it's twofold. We're going to explore that reality today. One of the ways I know that Advent is coming is I brought this little object lesson for us today. This is an ornament from my house. We're not going to pass it around, although that would be fun. Uh, this is an ornament from, it looks like an ordinary ornament. Probably none of you have an emotional connection with this, this object here, and that's fine. Uh, but I like to examine this each and every Advent because inside of this are three patient wristbands. Um, there's like a slight part of the epic person in me that's excited about that. But also, um, these are the wristbands for uh, my daughters. My daughters have their, you know, when they were babies, it's a, it doesn't even say Elizabeth or Annie. It just says like baby girl on it, which is pretty cool. Um, and so I like to examine this. And it, it makes me wonder, like, why do we even have this thing, right? I, I, yeah, I remember you were born, whatever. But you were born, and I remember this and look back on it and think about the adversity that, that my wife went through, and I was just there. Uh, my, my wife went through, and how the Lord was with us to, to give us Annie. And, um, and as I take a closer look at it every year, uh, new elements sort of are revealed to me. And I kid you not, this morning, I looked at this and didn't realize that actually, Jackie, your wristband from when you were a baby is in here. I didn't even know that. So there's new elements as I examine this each and every year. And I think that's really cool that we can, that this is, I think, a good picture for how we should approach Advent, because it could just be meaningless. It could just be a thing we put on a tree, and that's good. That's fine. This is pretty, whatever. But it's the meaning behind it that we can really take away and, and really uh, get more meaning out of Advent. And that's, that's sort of our intention with the Advent season, as this is an introduction for the next four weeks. We're going to approach Advent so that it's not just the season that happens to us, but that it's about the joy of anticipating the gospel, 
It's the joy of anticipating the, the coming Savior and a time that we can share that anticipation and joy with others. So this is about the gospel. This isn't just about rhythms. This isn't just about remembrance, but this is about the good news of the Savior who's come for us. So before we dive into the word, let's pray. Almighty God, Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you that you have created this day for your glory, that it is in your name we gather. Jesus, the son who was born, thank you. Thank you that you were, you became human. You became to be God with us. May that land on us today and bring us to, bring us to you. Holy Spirit, would you fill this place, fill the, the hearts of everyone who's, who's within earshot, either on streaming or, or here. Would you fill our hearts anew today so that we can commune with you as we gather. Ready our hearts for worship. Father, Son, Spirit, thank you for who you are. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, well, you can uh, open up your Bible or turn on your Bible to Matthew chapter 1. Uh, we have been studying Matthew for a long time, and so we're going to use that as a springboard into Advent. It's not like we, don't, we know that you don't know this or something. <laughs> we are just going to use it since we've been studying Matthew intensively for the last few years. We're going to be in Matthew 1, verses 18 through 23. You can go there now. This is a familiar passage probably to a lot of you, as the Christmas story is pretty widely known. Uh, and Matthew is a great gospel writer in that he's, he's giving us a list of narratives. So here's a bunch of things that happened. And then Matthew does this thing. I don't, what, what do they call it? Was it like a, from, from Saved by the Bell? I don't know if everybody remembers this, but Zach would sometimes go like, time out. And he would, the, the whole scene would stop. Am I right? Again, and he would be like, okay, here's what's going on here. That's kind of what Matthew was doing. Sorry for the Saved by the Bell reference. That was off the cuff. But I don't know if that works for you. So we're going to read the narrative, and then we're going to get a little bit of, like, behind-the-scenes look. So let's go to Matthew 1, 18 through 23. I'll read the scripture. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is the word of the Lord. This is some amazing scripture. There's that whole narrative section about Joseph and Mary, and there's this angel. We actually aren't going to touch on any of that because I have a homework assignment for you if you're interested in that story. We've covered this before. We've covered Matthew three years ago in December 2018. Zach preached on this very scripture and talked about how Joseph was both uh, just and merciful, wanted to protect his justice, but also was merciful. And isn't that a great depiction of the father? So go back and listen to that message from December 2018 um, with, with Zach's uh, sermon. What we're going to be studying today is really verses 21 through 23, because this is the behind the curtain look. At, at what's going on here, right? 
This is about something that in the church theologically is called the incarnation. Incarnation. I don't know if you've heard of that word before. It's kind of a churchy word. You probably didn't use it this week in, in your normal conversations. Incarnation. It means the presence of God in the flesh. In fact, incarnation has like carnivore or uh, like chili con carne. <laughs> it means meat or flesh, which is very strange to connect that word. But it means like God, who's a spirit, to come with us in the flesh. This is, this is wild. This is, a, this is beyond our, I think, our comprehension level as human beings to really truly fathom what it means for God to be both God and fully human in the person of Jesus. So that's what the scripture is pointing out to us. And how could it be that Jesus is, has a dual nature? Jesus is both fully God and fully man. It's important for us to think about this story and know that this is about the birth of the Savior, the birth of the Savior. I guess if I were writing the, the Bible, if I was writing the story, I would probably bring in Jesus from a cloud like a fully formed adult rather than as a baby. Like this is, Look at this awesome, powerful Jesus descending from the clouds, a fully formed adult, 30 years old, ready to go in the ministry. But that's not how Jesus came. Jesus came as a baby, was born. That's wild. This is wild that the, that the God who came to be with us didn't come to be with us as just this fully formed adult, although he did become an adult, right? He was born as a baby. That's what it means for God to be with us. We, we look at for this birth. Jesus is fully God and fully man is the incarnation of, uh, that's what that theological term means, the incarnation. We're going to study that dual nature. There's part of this scripture as well that's sort of always taken me back, and I don't know if anybody else has ever had this question. Have you ever wondered, did they get his name wrong? Has anybody ever wondered that, looking at this? Like, you should call his name Jesus, but it's about Emmanuel. You should call his name Emmanuel. That's, that's in there. We're not hiding anything from you. The Bible is not hiding that you shall call him Jesus, and, you, and then they will call him Emmanuel. How could it be that Jesus is, like, dual named? How can it be that there's both Jesus and Emmanuel? So we're going to look into this. Let's, why, what, are, what are with these two names? Um, first of all, we need to recognize in the Bible— Names are very important, important in a way that isn't quite as important to us. Um, I'm pretty positive the, w- the reason I was named James was because that was the, s- the best sounding one out of the baby book that year or whatever. Uh, names are less important to us. And I can confirm that our daughters were named because we liked the sound of the name. It wasn't like a really thoughtful, prayerful, like we need to name her this because of this reason. And that's okay. But to the, to the ancient Jewish mindset, we have names carrying a great degree of importance. And so let's first start with the name of Jesus. It says, you shall call his name Jesus. The name Jesus. We say, in the name of Jesus we pray, or in his name. It's like a send button for your prayers, right? Uh, but But we need to consider, what does it mean for us to say in the name of Jesus? And so first of all, Jesus had a name. That's, that's not something I really considered until prepping for this, but like he had a name. He was a boy, and his mom said, well, his mom didn't say Jesus. His name was Yeshua, but over translation over the years, we say Jesus in English. His name was like Yeshua or Yeshua. It's related to the name Joshua. But he was called by his name as a boy and as a man. This God who is fully God and fully man, this person had a name. 
So when we pray, like, in Jesus' name, we're praying in the name of a person who was born. This is wild to me, that, that, this, that God has an or, a somewhat ordinary name. Yeshua was a pretty common name. It's a, it, like I said, it's derived from Joshua, a biblical character that we have a whole book of the Bible named after Joshua. He, you know, delivers the, the Israelites into the promised land. And his name, Joshua, or Yeshua, or Jesus, the, the name means, it says here, Matthew, I love Matthew, does this. The name Jesus, what does that name mean? It means, for he will save his people from their sins. So the name of Jesus means the Lord is salvation. It means savior. So when we pray in Jesus' name, we're thinking in the name of salvation. In the name of salvation. So from the very start, his, you shall call him Jesus. It means his name is salvation. That's what this birth represents to us. If you're interested, if this is like the name of Jesus as Yeshua, Joshua, if that's really striking your fancy, I have some extra nerding out you can do. For those of you that want to do that this week, Thrive People, maybe you're going to be into this after your year of study. Zechariah chapter 3. Uh, we don't have time to get into it today, but Zechariah chapter 3 has the, a prophecy about a high priest named Joshua and who has these dirty garments and they're exchanged for clean ones. It, it is really powerful. So Zechariah 3, there's your homework assignment if you want to know more about Jesus and Yeshua. The other name that he's called by is Emmanuel. Emmanuel here. So Jesus' name is both salvation and also Emmanuel, which means God with us. A rich concept, God with us us. We can trace this concept back to the Garden of Eden. God walked with Adam and Eve. We can trace this back to the Old Testament when God was with Abraham and his promises and the covenant there. God was with his people as a pillar of cloud and fire and inhabited the tabernacle. John even the Gospel of John says Jesus tabernacled with us, that, that uh, Jesus is represented as God being with us in the same way that God was present with his his people in the past. That's, this is what it means for God to be with us. This is the celebration of Advent, that we wait with anticipation for God to be with us. But what does that mean for us here, right? We're, we're sitting here, you know, a few dozen of us in this room and online, and we, we are thinking about what does it mean for us to celebrate Advent, well, for God to be with us. How can we trust that God is with us? Because I'm sure in this room there are people who don't think that God is with you right now, right? Why would, you, why, why would God be with me in what I'm struggling through right now with sin issue A or infertility or things that are happening to me that aren't my, like, that, that are just happening to me? How could God be with me in these circumstances? There was an a article I was reading actually this morning uh, by on from the Gospel Coalition by Brett McCracken, and he, I'm paraphrasing a little bit here, but essentially the, the essence of hope is not the downplaying of our present sorrow, but expectation that this present pain will one day feel a foreign, distant memory. So that's what our hope is in. It's not that we don't have struggles. It's that we know that we hope in something greater. We're hoping and waiting for Emmanuel. Just as the people in the first century were waiting for the birth of their Savior, we are awaiting the second coming. 
And this is a, a theological concept called the now and the not yet. I'm sure it has a, a, a more rich academic term, but this, this plays out in the Bible a number of ways, the now and the not yet. This is a, a theme that's repeated throughout scripture where we have salvation confirmed today, but we're also waiting for something. We have a couple verses, I think, on the same slide here, Emery. The Romans 5, 9, and then the Galatians 5, 5. Okay, great. So this is, this is a great juxtaposition of the now and the not yet that we're going to be looking at with Advent. We have these same scriptures are written by, or these scriptures are written by the same person, by the Apostle Paul. In Romans 5, 9, it says, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. So even in that verse, we have a now. We've been now saved, but we also will be saved. We've, also, we've been justified. We will be saved. And Paul also writes in Galatians 5, 5, For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. We have now been justified, but we're also eagerly awaiting the hope of righteousness. That's what it means for this Emmanuel, to God to be with us. We know that Jesus was born 2,000 years ago, and we do celebrate that with the Advent season, the coming Savior. But we also await the second coming of our Savior. Jesus himself says, and if I, this is in John 14, 3, it's not going to be on the screen, but if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. So Jesus talks about his coming again. This is something we await in the now and the not yet, this duality. How can God be both our salvation and God with us? How can Jesus both be fully God and fully man? How could something have been now but not yet? That's what this Advent is. This Advent is waiting on the coming Savior, but remembering what's happened. So when I look at my ornament, I remember what's happened, but I also can look at my nine-year-old, my five-year-old, and think about what's to come. That God has, God has been with us, but he's also going to be with us. I have these promises to rest on, and that's where my hope lies. So we can wait expectantly for Jesus. We are saved, but we're not yet sanctified. We can wait expectantly for Jesus. We can know that God's promise to be with us is realized and also yet to be realized. And so we should want to glorify God in Advent as we're waiting. This is amazing to me. This is amazing that God would choose to be with us. And here's where I get to confess that I am in this room. I'm going to go ahead and say that I'm probably the least qualified person to deliver this message of hope in Advent today because I can't stand Christmas songs. Like the, the day after Thanksgiving when all my radio presets are like betraying me, classic rock has now moved into Mannheim Steamroller which is not, not that bad. <laughs> but I also, I, I don't, it's, it's, and that's great if you do love Christmas. There are some people who, do, I don't know if anybody remembers Melody McNeil. She used to attend the Vine. She used to listen to Christmas music year-round, and I just cannot wrap my mind around that. And that's great. That's fine if you love Christmas music. This is not a message about that. But I am, uh, I, I think we can have Advent happen to us. We can allow, like, good songs, good Christmas songs can just happen to us, and it's, it's cheer, Christmas cheer for cheer's sake. It's decorating the tree for tradition's sake, and those are good things. But we examine that ornament a little closer, we'll find some new meaning that we didn't see before. 
And one way we can, this is now we're going to move into application. We're going to spend the rest of our time trying to apply this. There is a song that relates to Emmanuel that we're going to investigate. And we're actually going to sing this song today as well. We're going to look at the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. What is that song about? When we sing it, I'm sure, I don't know if anybody here is going to confess like I am. I've sung the song and I have just, it's been like a Christmas song. I don't really get any meaning out of it. It's just a Christmas song. Uh, I don't know if anybody else is like that. But we're going to examine the, the verses to, to this song, and then we are going to sing it today. Uh, the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, it's pretty old. It was written in the 8th or 9th century, and it was uh, written originally in Latin. So I know some of the Karis kids are going to get really excited to go home and read that in Latin. Uh, <laughs> no? Uh, it was originally seven verses. We don't sing all seven verses. It was translated into English um, in the 1860s as the most popular version, but some of the words have changed over time. And we're going to, let's look at the, the different verses here to, to, you know, get some meaning out of it. Let's put verse one up there on the screen there. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appears. I'm sorry I didn't sing it. You'll have to wait for Alan. So this verse is giving us an opportunity to build anticipation for Advent. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Like, just like you know, Joseph is being, receiving this message about you shall call his name Jesus, and this is to fulfill the scripture that there will be Emmanuel, here we have, O come, O come, Emmanuel. We're building anticipation for the coming Advent. And there's some gospel in this verse. It says, ransom captive Israel. Ransom captive Israel. We are the stand-in for Israel here, the God's chosen people. Uh, we, are, we have been grafted in. We've been grafted in to, to Israel. And then it says ransom. And ransom is a pretty violent word to sing in like a Christmas song. I, was, I had to explain what ransom was to my kids this week, and I had, to, I had to hypothetically explain that I was kidnapping their stuffed animals. Like there was no other way around explaining it. It's, uh, it's pretty violent, right? And, but this is not an abiblical word. This is something that Jesus himself says in Matthew 20, 28. I think we'll have this one up here. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He's ransoming us, giving his life. There are, there, there are amazing saints that we can read about, people who were martyred for the faith. But Jesus is the one who was born as a martyr. Born as a martyr. He came to serve. This, he, this is the gospel message. If you're not hearing it at all today, I want you to hear it right now. Jesus died as a ransom for many. That includes you. This is amazing gospel message. This is what we're waiting on in Jesus, meaning that the name of Jesus, meaning salvation. Ransoming us as we are captive. We mourn in lonely exile. We, I mean, turn on the TV and we mourn. Check your phone on the, and check the news. We mourn in lonely exile here. And the exile is a theme, a biblical theme. We have examples of people who live in exile. Daniel, who doesn't bow down to the statue uh, in, in Babylon. We have uh, Peter. P first, first Peter, uh, he writes to the exiles of the dispersion, which is like code for the early Christians. And we mourn in exile. I hope you realize that as, as Christians who celebrate the birth of Jesus and the coming Savior, that this stands out from what the world is offering to us. 
in meaninglessness, consumerism, hope in self. We have a ransom in Jesus. And so until the Son of God appears, we're waiting for this. So what, what could we say except rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. We put that, that chorus up here, Emery. This is the chorus of the song, and uh, I want to point out that you're not telling Emmanuel to rejoice. It's not like a command. Um, this is, I don't know, some people might hear it that way. I think I probably did early on. Rejoice, rejoice. We have this ransom. Rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to you, O Israel. This is meant to, I'm not a music major, but from what I understand, the chorus of a song is meant to amplify the verses, or maybe it's a refrain, I don't know if there's a difference, but we're supposed to sing rejoice, rejoice as confirmation of what we've just sung. Oh, come Emmanuel, ransom us. We mourn in lonely exile, but you're going to appear, rejoice. Let's look at verse 2. Verse 2 says, O come thou day spring, come and cheer. Our spirits by thine advent here. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadow put to flight. This verse is the battle of light versus dark and light winds. Light versus dark. Day spring is a poetic word. Again, not something you probably use this, this week in conversation, but day spring means, you know, the coming morning. Thinking about anticipation of Christmas morning. Take yourself back to that. That, that anticipation waiting for morning, the morning star. Some translations say, oh, come thou morning star. Come thou sunshine. It's about the coming light. Cheer us. Cheer, this light should cheer us. I, just in the same way that the sun rising earth this morning cheers us, we are waiting for the light. Uh, in John 1, 5, it says, the, li the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John 9, 5, this one can be on the screen here. It says, as long as I, Jesus says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Come thou, day spring, come thou light. Come thou, come daylight, come and cheer us. Can we go back to the, the verse, uh, Emery? It says, oh, come thou, day spring, come and cheer our spirits by your advent here. So come light and disperse the gloomy clouds of night. So the light is going to disperse the darkness in the same way that the sunrise disperses the night. Now, what is that metaphor for? It says, in death's dark shadow put to flight. So the, 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 the light is coming, but what's the, what's the point? It's going to disperse the darkness, which is death. This is really good news, that we don't have the power of death over us. This is the light coming, Jesus coming into the world, means that death is swallowed up. In fact, in Isaiah 25, 8, it says, He will swallow up death for all time, and the Lord God will wipe tears away from all faces. So what else could we say but rejoice? Rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. So when we sing this verse, we, we think about the light defeating the darkness, defeating death. And then we get to verse 3. I think maybe subjectively the strangest of all of them that we sing. It says, O come thou rod of Jesse free. 
thine own from Satan's tyranny, from depths of hell thy people save, and give them victory o'er the grave. This song, uh, this verse is, is strange, but as I investigated it, this song is the, the, the or this verse, I'm sorry, is the we are the champions part of the song. It is about God's complete victory and him saving us. We have to address what the rod of Jesse is. <laughs> it's like, what is that? Uh, Jesse is King David's father. Okay, so rod of Jesse, we have, we have something coming to the, the line, of, line of David. King David has a covenant. Uh, God, God does a covenant with David to say that there will be a king from his line who will rule forever. And it says the rod of Jesse. This is a botanical metaphor that Jackie gave me that term, a botanical metaphor. I thought that was really good. Um, there, there's prophecy in Isaiah 11.1. 1. It says the righteous reign of the branch. There, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. And a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. So this, this, this rod of Jesse, it's not like, you know, spare the, spare the child or, you know, spare the rod, spoil the child or something. No, no, no. It's not about that. This is about there is a, uh, a coming branch, a coming f- from the same line of King David. The stump has been cut down. David's, uh, David's grandsons, great-grandsons, all the, pe- the kings from the line of David fell away. That tree is cut down. But from the same root system, this is how plants work, apparently. There's, and I've, I've confirmed this. I should, maybe I should confirm with Christy Lashevitz, my botanical expert. Um, there, the root system can uh, spring forth a new shoot from the same root system. And that's what Jesus represents here. We have newness, but maintenance of the old covenant. It's still the same tree. We have a new branch. O come thou rod of Jesse. Now, King David, King David came to kick Heine. He came to, like, you know, defeat kingdoms, to rule the, the, of Israel. And that's what was expected. We read out of Matthew, and all the disciples were expecting this coming military king, like, get these Romans out of here. Rule this place. And that's what this verse, can we go back to the verse here? It says, come thou rod of Jesse, free. So we're saying, Savior from the line of David, free. Free thine own from Satan's tyranny. So free us. We are being held captive. And it says what our circumstances are. From depths of hell, thy people save. Save us. We're waiting for this king and give us victory or the grave. We have a promised conquering king. And we just sang about how death is going to be swallowed up. And we have this coming king in, in the season of Advent. This is the same confidence that Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's through our Lord Jesus Christ that we can say, O death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? We are the champions. Right? This is our complete victory. God's complete victory, and we get to be part of it. I should say that. This is God's complete victory, and for those of us that trust in Jesus, we are part of that. So we sing, rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Verse 4, the final verse we sing, says, O come desire of nations bind, in one the hearts of all mankind. 
bid thou our sad divisions cease and be thyself our king of peace. Waiting expectantly for the light that's going to conquer death, we have a king who's going to deliver us. What does that mean for us? This king, the summer here, our king will unite us. Our coming king will unite us. John 18, 37, this is uh, going back to a narrative that we are pretty familiar with uh, from, from Matthew. We just covered the trial of Jesus. Pilate said to him, Jesus, said to Jesus, so you are a king? Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose, I was born. So let's pay attention here. <laughs> if Advent is about the birth of Jesus, what's the purpose of why Jesus was born? I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Jesus came, was born, to give us truth. So now I, now I get to ask you and invite you into this truth today. Do you trust that Jesus is your Savior, that the, the rod of Jesse, Emmanuel, this is your gospel invitation, that today could be the day you encounter the truth for the first time and you're listening to Jesus' voice. And there are many of you who I know have trusted in Jesus, been trusting in Jesus for, for years, and there's something really powerful, I think, to me in the, uh, can we go back to the verse one more time, Emery? Um, it says, in one the hearts of all mankind, bid thou our sad divisions cease. I've been really privileged to be uh, working with the elder team as a candidate for the last, uh, for the last year, almost, um, and prior to that, elder development, and um, it's, be, it's become apparent to me over the last two years, there are many things that can cause sad divisions. I don't think we need to address, <laughs> I don't think I need to come up with the list. I think you know of, of all of the different things that can cause sad divisions. But I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. That's 1 Corinthians 1.10. That this, this is the part that makes me emotional. It's thinking about all of us together rejoicing. Our sad division's gone. We come before the throne. We have Emmanuel, God with us. We're awaiting that day. We're awaiting this. This is what heaven is all about. And so we come before the, the, today, before the season of Advent, and we sing, rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. So we sing with meaning. We examine, we examine this ornament, and it could just be on the tree. Or, or we can take Advent, and we can intentionally look at Advent, find the gospel meaning, and allow this meaning to cause you sincere joy. And this joy is infectious. It will be impossible not to share the gospel when we look at Advent and we remember what Emmanuel means. For God to be with us, we have our Savior, we have God with us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for being God with us, and we look forward. It is so hard to look forward, Jesus, and trust in the promises that we, we need you to build us up in faith. We need, we need your Holy Spirit to empower all of us to wait. Waiting is so hard, Lord. May Advent, this Advent, be what an Advent we dedicate to you, that we wait in hope, no matter what our circumstances are, 
for the coming Savior. That this season be one that we give to you. That the next four weeks wouldn't just happen to us, and, but that it would hit us hard and our hearts would be changed and we would every day come after you. And that we would every day await the promise to be able to call you by name, to call you Jesus, to call you Emmanuel, to be God with us. For your name means salvation, and your name means that you will be with us, and you are the fulfillment of all of the prophecy in the Old Testament. We thank you, Lord, for this mystery, this wonderful mystery, the duality of how you are both God and man, and this mystery that one day we will see face to face, and that you have swallowed up death for all time, and we will get to be with you in your kingdom, your everlasting kingdom. Lord Jesus, thank you for binding us together in your everlasting kingdom that we wait, we hope. Lord, forgive us our sins, and it is in your name that we pray. Amen.